York ain't New York anymore. How I miss those old towns of mine. How did Kermit the Frog, Big Bird, and a new cast of Slavic Muppets expand the Sesame Street neighborhood into the former Eastern Bloc after the collapse of the Soviet Union? We'll meet the woman who adapted this beloved American TV show for an audience behind the Iron Curtain that had never even seen a Muppet. Next. Is to create a program that has never existed here before, which introduces children into the world of learning in a very joyful way and makes them understand that they can achieve anything that they want to in the future. Hello, history lovers, and welcome. I'm your host, Dean Carianis, and this is the History Author Show on iHeartRadio. And a special tip of the hat to everybody enjoying today's time travel adventure via our YouTube channel. You can find me at historyauthor.com or across social media platforms. Plus, you can read my columns in the New York Sun. Those are at nysun.com. And in those, you'll get my analysis of current events through the lens of what I've learned from all of these history books on the shelves behind me and from Kermit the Frog, who is also on the shelf behind me. The lessons we learned from Sesame Street were so important and also so universal, which is why today's show is brought to you by the letter M in their honor. This week, our time machine and welcomes aboard television producer and filmmaker Natasha Lance Rogoff, who brings us Muppets in Moscow, the unexpected crazy true story of making Sesame Street in Russia. Visit our guest at NatashaLanceRogoff.com where you can navigate through to her social media accounts on all of the major platforms, including at Lance Rogoff on Twitter. That last name is spelled R-O-G-O-F-F. Okay, now that we've arrived in Red Square, as it's being transformed by the fall of communism, let's join Natasha Lance Rogoff as she tells Russian kids how to get to Sesame Street with Muppets in Moscow. And here we are with Natasha Lance Rogoff. She's joining us to chat about her very special book, Muppets in Moscow, the unexpected, crazy, true story of making Sesame Street in Russia. Thank you so much for making the time to talk Muppets with the History Author Show today, Natasha. Great to be here and thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming. I'm very excited about this book. So much show, so I had to do that intro twice. So this is this is the kind of book it speaks that little kid inside all of us. And I, how many how many movies are there where you reconnect with that with that sense of childlike wonder inside of you? How many there's that Twilight Zone episode that's like that one of Rod Serling's favorites, and that's what this book does. And yet it puts you as an adult in a situation that all of us as adults might find ourselves in, and that's in a place that's dangerous, that's having to do a job that's very tough to do. So I, I wanted to start with your name because your name is Natasha. People could see it on the book cover behind me, also with little Kermit the Frog there, making sure I do a good job. And I wondered from Natasha if you had a family connection to Russia. So tell us, how did you get that name? And did that, did that help you? Did your experience with Russia help you with this often dangerous, deadly task of paving a Sesame Street in the former Soviet bloc? I uh, was not born with the name Natasha, and uh, my grandfather left Biela Russia in 1912. 
And I was completely enamored with this culture and the idea of my ancestry, which I didn't know much about. Um, and I changed my name uh, from, well, I'm going to make people read the book <laughs> to see what Smart. it used to be. But uh, I changed it to Natasha when I was 16, even before I spoke a word of Russian. So I just felt that I had the wrong name. And uh, maybe that was the first step on this path to, uh, you know, bringing the Muppets to Moscow, because, uh, you know, I ended up learning uh, Russian in college and um, and then spent the next uh, 12 years working in the Soviet Union and then in what became new Russia. A TV pro to tell us, not tell us what your name is. What a great, what a great way tell to get us what your name about. is. <laughs> So you're not a Natasha by birth. You have this mysterious past, let's tell people. And you were also not a person with experience in children's TV or with children. And you become the person that does this. And I, I felt that if this was a novel, you would say, oh, come on. She changes her name to Natasha. And then she just happens to get thrown into this fish out of water almost situation that nobody else would have would have been able to experience. And you triumph there. But this is a real true story is Muppets in Moscow. Do you think it helps readers that go on this journey with you because you are so much an outsider in this story? So you're very much like me sitting here in America that has never been there and you have the experience and yet you're willing to share with people that this is what it felt like to be an outsider in a completely alien world. It's even alien for the people that are there. Everything's changing, the name of their country, the flag. And you say, well, love of the Muppets. I know the Muppets can get through. Did you, did you feel that that was something that would really help you tell this story? Absolutely. I mean, I, um, I had already been living and working in what was the Soviet Union, you know, for about 10 years. And I, uh, you know, was uh, very familiar with the culture and had enormous affection for both uh, literature, art, music, and also the people. So when Sesame Street's executives asked me to uh, bring the show to Russia and adapt it for an original version with, you know, three new Muppets and a giant new neighborhood, you know, which would be based on Russian architectural aesthetic, so to speak, I was definitely very intrigued. And then the prospect of how this TV show that was, you know, an icon of American culture, if it were adapted for Russian and post-Soviet society, you know, how it could help children by, you know, modeling idealistic values, tolerance, freedom of expression, and then also um, providing skills that they needed in order to thrive in this new uh, open society. I wouldn't call it a you know, it was a budding open society where the country was transitioning from 70 years of communism, 70 years of communism to a different type of system. I want to tell people watching at home that you'll see me smiling at odd points, maybe throughout this interview, if you're watching on YouTube. And that's because I read Muppets in Moscow and there were so many little moments that the things you're talking about remind me of. So I would encourage everybody to pick up the book but also to remember that it's not all fun and felt for you when you get over there. You experience two assassinations, a car bombing, the armed takeover of your offices. So this is not just things happening out in the countryside far away that you're reading about in Pravda. These are things that are happening to you. Elmo gets kidnapped. 
And it may sound like a silly, funny thing, but these men that kidnap him are not just doing it in the dark of night there. They show up heavily armed. How did you maintain the joy of Sesame Street under those conditions? Well, I think that that's what makes the book so amazing and makes the story unbelievable, but it is true. And because when you have, you know, we're, we're over there trying to create a puppet show, an educational TV show for children. And while we're there, all these, uh, you know, uh, dramatic and tragic events happen. And as I've been reading, you know, reviews on Amazon and Goodreads, and the book's only been out for six weeks, it's just incredible, you know, how it's taken off because people are writing about, uh, you know, it's like a thriller. This feels like fiction, but it's not. And, um, you know, I was able to use materials. I wrote a first draft of this after the show uh, first aired almost 30 years ago. So that was how I was able to, you know, include so much dialogue in the book. And then I had shot videotape from that period. Then when I went back to people talking about the, you know, interviewing them and they said, oh, I don't remember that. I, I didn't say that. And then I could take the iPhone, take a picture of the, the film that, sh you know, that was shot and send it to them on WhatsApp. I mean, it, it was incredible. And they were like, oh, I did say that, you know, <laughs> the Russians are very romantic people. And even though the reaction, the initial reaction to Sesame Street and to the Muppets was not what I expected and was not particularly positive, um, they brought to the show a level of genius and artistry that I had never experienced in any other production. So I worked on other productions, but you know, even in the formulation of deciding what color their new uh, Slavic Muppets would be, we had this extensive discussion about Vasily Kandinsky, the famous artist, and how he had written a book called the, the Theory of Color, I think. And it was about how colors evoke different emotions. So the colors chosen for the Slavic Muppets had to be consistent with Kandinsky's theoretical writings on color and emotion. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty abstract, you know, as, a, as opposed to, uh, you know, another experience I had in Mexico where the color of the female Muppet was decided in, you know, five minutes. So it was, sure. <laughs> these were very different experiences. Yeah, we could use a pink one. Right. And uh, yeah. so you just put a pink so, one. So I, I would guess, say, yeah. yeah, the joy, the joy factor was was there. It took some time to get there. But by the time we were, uh, you know, pumping out uh, the episodes one after the other and we were moving smoothly through the production and able to film, because, as I say, it was extremely excruciating in the you know, beginning when we were filming, whereas Sesame Street was filming, you know, 10 minutes a day, we would be filming a minute and a half or two minutes. And, uh, you know, it was unclear as we were making the show, if we were ever going to finish this, could we finish it? But in the process of the production, uh, the same joyful atmosphere that existed during the early days of Sesame Street on the set and this is what I was told because I was not on the set with Jim Henson, but I was told by people who came over to Moscow who said, 
oh, this is so similar to the early days of Sesame Street, the feeling of, you know, incredible joy and hope that this show was going to be such, you know, make such a big impact on the population of, you know, children and families who greatly needed uh, guidance in terms of, you know, how to navigate this confusing and uncertain reality that they were living in after their government had collapsed and a new system was still uh, in the process of um, being created. You mentioned the Russians being romantic people, and of course they have so many great novelists, so many great stories. Lost War and Death, however, are not, not things you associate with Sesame Street. And you just made me think of this question when you brought that up, because something as basic as casting the children for the for the Muppets in Moscow is is not what you would expect at all. So tell us what the kids start singing. We're not getting rock and roll music, which have been banned for being anti-socialist. When these kids come in there and it's their it's their big chance, and I don't want to belittle it because this could change their lives and save their families from very horrible circumstances if they're able to get these jobs. What kinds of songs are they singing? The uh, auditions for the show are are really my favorite part. I mean, I'm just you know waiting until that day when we can interview you know hundreds of kids and then I get to listen to music and hear it all in Russian and was very excited for the first day of this, um, of the casting session. And uh, I was incredibly surprised by what happened. So the chief director, Volodya Gramatikov, who is a very, very famous children's uh, film director, and he had worked a little bit in television, but not much. And then um, we had about 160 kids who had come to Gorky Film Studios for the auditions. So each of the children would perform their um, their audition isolated from the other children. So they weren't listening to each other. And when the first boy came in, uh, a little boy uh, sang a song and he stands up and he says, I want to stand. I don't want to sit, even though we you know, provided his chair. And then he stands very stiffly and starts. Um, he drops his his uh, voice several octaves. And he starts singing a song from World War II from this film called Belaruski Vokzal, which is Belarusian train station. And the lyrics are something about, you know, the planet is burning, everything is covered in smoke. And it goes on from there. And it's basically, you know, a song about World War II and people dying. And I'm... I'm sitting here thinking, okay, this is really odd for a children's comedy show, but okay, I'll go with the flow. And then another, the next girl, so that that the, the director pats him on the head and he goes off. And then the next girl comes in, little girl and a, you know, with um uh braids and uh, a skirt, absolutely adorable. And then she breaks into this song uh, with her little soprano voice called Katusha, which is about a little, uh, a, a very well-known Russian song uh, called Little Kate. And it's all about a woman bidding farewell to her lover, to her lover who's going off to the front. And um, <laughs> at that point I was like, okay, this seems to be a theme this uh, singing of World War II songs. 
And this goes on for the rest of the morning until uh, lunchtime. And at lunch, uh, the, the chief director and I go out. And of course, I'm, I'm, you know, desperate to ask him, why are they all singing these World War II songs, these, you know, incredibly morose, sad songs? And he says to me, Natasha, you, you, you don't understand. These, you're thinking of these songs as sad. They're not sad. They're poetic and lyrical. And these are the songs that the children sing with their uh, grandmothers. These songs bring them comfort. So that's why they sing them. And it was, you know, it was so different. I mean, I was sitting here expecting to hear like Itsy Bitsy Spider, Old MacDonald's Had a Farm. And, um, you know, it made me, made me realize something about this, uh, you know, that I, that was a deeper sense of understanding the culture than what I had, you know, up to that point, even after working for years in, in Russia. And, um, you know, the, the director said, you know, children, uh, Russian children read poetry from a very young age and they expect sadness in their poetry in their music and in their lives. That was a profound day for me. And it, it, in the book, it goes on because this leads to additional developments where other content is created around the similarly sad theme, which is, you know, not, it was very different from the American Sesame Street show. And I explain in the book, you know, how I tell the story of what happened when, when we tested some of these segments with 1,200 children. So it was very surprising result. <laughs> and also, I think it's a wonderful reminder of what you're trying to do and trying to influence kids without hitting them over the head and how impressionable they can be and how you can influence them for something like patriotism in that case and the great patriotic war, as Russians call World War II. And they're singing a song, they may not be dwelling on the meaning, they don't have the life experience to really understand it, but they sing what they're told. And if we think we would never do that, maybe in in, uh, in the UK and the US, go look up what Ring Around the Rosie is about, right? So yeah. <laughs> we have songs like that that you don't even realize you're singing. Some of this is an adult, you go back back and look at one of those top 40 songs and you say, that's what that's about, that's, that's horrible. How could that be about that? But that's just the case. And so that that makes this book very eye opening as somebody who likes to stretch my mind a little bit and think about things in different ways. Muppets in Moscow does that for me. And the same way that there was a, another documentary or you're a documentary filmmaker called Exporting Raymond and Phil Rosenthal, the executive producer of that tries to take the show Everybody Loves Raymond over to Russia and there's little things like the TV show producers there they're shushing him because he's laughing it's supposed to be a live audience right the audience is sitting there very serious and he's saying no no they're supposed to be laughing maybe i'll try to give it a little boost by laughing and they say no they shush him why are you laughing and they want people who are very beautiful there and he says no these are supposed to be working people and well why would you want to watch people that look just like you on tv you could see that by walking down the street and so these these are things i wanted to ask you here about muppets in moscow because you've worked in tv extensively i've done work in tv and we expect those archetypes when we walk in 
to the studio for the first time. We know what the engineer is going to be like, the type we'd like to get, the type we wouldn't want, the producers, the PAs, the, the eager intern, all of these are, are caricatures of American TV behind the scenes. So I wanted to ask you, when you get there and you talk to people that you are going to be working with to create what becomes Muppets in Moscow, how does that compare to your experience here? How how was navigating not just the the public persona and what the show is going to be, but all the behind the scenes puppeteering? How was that for you as somebody coming in who hadn't done this kind of work before? It's a question not many people have asked me before. Our biggest the biggest difference is that we had a, a profound generational battle within the production team between the older people who had grown up under communism and the younger people who had were, who had also grown up under communism, but they had experienced this period of opening in the 1980s under Glasnost, under Gorbachev. And so they had very different perspectives on um, what the show should deliver and you know, what should the content be. And that, that was very, very difficult to navigate. Another aspect is that uh, coming from the States and as the executive producer, I could build the team that I wanted. And I wanted to build a team that had a majority of women in key positions, key technical positions, creative positions. Um, and that really hadn't been done in the Soviet Union or in Russia before. So we, our team, which numbered about 400 of, uh, you know, puppeteers, writers, producers, set designers, um, they were, you know, a um, majority of women. And that was phenomenal to see. So that I would say that was probably very different from an American production uh, in the time when I was producing Ulitsa Sazam, Sesame Street in Russian. I mean, compared to the U.S. That leads to a great Next question, a great part of the book. And for me, it's the moment where all your hard work pays off. It's the moment where the skies open and I'll let you describe it. But it was really great for somebody who's cheering for you throughout Muppets in Moscow. And it's chapter 13. It's titled An Angel Descends. And this is a moment where those women in the room, one of them certainly helps you. Finally, I, I feel like you're banging your head there against uh, a brick wall like Cookie Monster and we can't get the cookie. You're frustrated. Right? It's got, but you're very <laughs> professional about it throughout uh, the telling in Muppets in Moscow. Share that story with us because it is that moment that readers of your book will be cheering for you as all your hard work begins to pay off and somebody finally gets it and you're no longer that only voice in the room trying to explain these googly-eyed, weird American creatures to, to people who've never grew up with them. This is probably one of the most moving segments in the book. And um, it was it happened during the curriculum seminar, which is the cornerstone of any international Sesame Street co-production when um, uh, the creative team comes together with uh, educators from across the country where we're working, um, children's teachers and um, child education experts. So this group assembled at the Danilov Monastery, which is the headquarters of the Russian Orthodox Church, where we were renting room, basically. It was surreal. And I even, when I was there, saw the patriarch, which is, there's a story in the book about meeting the Russian patriarch, which is like 
running accidentally into the Pope. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But anyway, at this at this um, three-day seminar, we were trying to develop the content for the show. What would be taught in the show? What would the scenarios be? And um, we had a whole list of um, uh, topics that to propose to discuss with the Russian and you know um, other education experts from Georgia, Armenia. Uh, this was an assembly of people from the former Soviet Union because the show was going to air across 11 time zones. Uh, so it had to include uh, lots of different um, nationality groups. And we showed a video of a little boy uh, in a wheelchair who's who's flying a kite. And there's a really upbeat song in the background, which goes, you know, me and my chair, we go everywhere. And it's a, a really beautiful, sweet segment. So when, when this finishes playing, and we're going to have a discussion about inclusivity in the new Russian TV series, for the new Russian TV series. And this is met with just horror by the group, uh, you know, assembled. And one um, math teacher stands up and says, it's totally exploitative to show children in wheelchairs on television. How could you do that? And then another woman asks, you know, kind of innocently, uh, why would normal children, ever want to watch a TV show with not normal children? So I'm already, you know, uh, kind of disheartened listening to the language itself in Russian, which is, you know, not normal being used to describe children with disabilities, uh, which already gives, you know, flags. Wow, we're in a different place. And uh, I, I just thought, you know, maybe they're not ready for Sesame Street. This is this is so off base, you know, from what I had expected after showing this video. And if these enlightened educators don't have the empathy to, you know, imagine including children with disabilities in the, in our TV show, I don't I don't see how this is going to work. So I was really very upset. And then this woman raises her hand, one of the educators, and she says, uh, you Americans don't understand that, you know, our country's just collapsed. Our healthcare system is in shambles. There are children across the country who are stuck in bed, trapped in their beds, and they will never get a wheelchair. How will they feel if they see children with wheelchairs on the TV show and they're never going to get one? They'll just feel sad. So that was like, you know, a punch in the stomach because I was like, oh, my God, I'm such an ugly American. I hadn't even, you know, really thought about that. You know, this discussion went on for quite a long time. And I kind of, you know, didn't say very much. And then one woman, um, Ludmila Chipurina, who was from a, a region called uh, Chebaksari, which runs from the Volga to Siberia, she speaks up. She's a little, you know, soft voice. And she says, hello, you know, I work with uh, children with disabilities uh, in Chavaksari. And um, this is a region where uh, in Soviet times, it was used as a dumping ground for hazardous chemicals. So our region has the highest rate of children with, with deformities. And she explains that she, you know, I work with these children every day. I laugh with them, I play with them. They yearn to be with 
normalni, normal children, children, you know, uh, they, they yearn to be with children without disabilities. And she, she urges the group to write scenarios that include these children in the show, in Ulitsa Sazam, as a valuable part of society so that people can see that. When she finishes speaking, I look around the room and people have started uh, crying. So I notice people, you know, wiping their eyes and everything. And I too am starting to lose it. I am supposed to be the one in charge and I don't want people to see me crying. So I, you know, we, we, we call a break and I leave and go outside to the, uh, you know, to the courtyard in the monastery. And, um, you know, I think about that point because this was a really transitional moment for the group where they decided themselves at the end of this session to include children with disabilities in the show. And I hadn't said a word. And seeing how the transition was possible from where we started from to where we ended up was just so moving and so beautiful. And it was also a lesson in how change happens. That's leadership. You led them. And I, you led me as a reader too in Muppets in Moscow because I'm reading that and I'm beginning to choke up myself. And uh, then I read that and I say, oh, it's it's not just me. And I felt like I was part of that group and learning something and feeling some emotion. And so I I just love that moment. And I think it's something about leadership. There, There's so much that Muppets in Moscow can can teach us all about being better leaders, which, hey, wait a minute, that's what Sesame Street was teaching us all those years, in a way, being part of a team, expressing your feelings, all of these things. And so you go and share that with everybody. And this is the moment in the book where you were able to make that breakthrough. It was one of, I think, many moments in the book, you know, also related to designing the set, uh, creating the original music for uh, Ulitsa Sazam, which reflected Russia's own musical traditions, very rich traditions. Um, in each of these cases, uh, the, there were different values. We have different histories. And those same differences are also impacting our relations today. They don't just go away, you know, overnight. And I think that uh, if we have expectations for other societies to mirror our own, we will be disappointed. And it's also dangerous. So it leads to war. We have to learn how to navigate these cultural differences and find uh, compromises. You're enjoying my conversation with Natasha Lance Rogoff. She's the author of Muppets in Moscow, the unexpected crazy true story of making Sesame Street in Russia. Please do visit her at NatashaLanceRogoff.com, where you can navigate through to her social media accounts, including Lance Rogoff on Twitter. Virginia Madsen, Academy Award-nominated actress and film producer, writes of Muppets in Moscow, quote, the story of a woman with an unshakable vision, along with a multinational team of people willing to give it a try. Colorful, heartfelt, self-revealing, and inspiring. Natasha, the word self-revealing jumped out at me there because I've read enough memoirs to know when an author is holding back or nervous about touching on a subject. You are very honest throughout Muppets in Moscow. 
How, is that just what you're like as a person? So it comes through in your writing. How did you decide how much of you to share? How much of that girl with the secret name inside you to make this book work so well for readers? Well, I was I was so uh, thrilled to read that from Virginia Madsen, who's an actress and producer I incredibly admire. Um, you know, she was in Sideways and has been in so many uh, famous films. The hardest part for me in writing this book was sharing in, you know, pieces and stories about my personal life. That was that was the most difficult part. I mean, I had earlier been a journalist, so I was used to writing about things I saw and, you know, and describing uh, the feeling of what those events felt like. But I had not had any experience writing about my life or my personal life. And uh, as well as, um, you know, putting myself in a story. That was very challenging for me. That was the hardest part. But as far as the writing, I just wanted it to be as honest as possible to reflect really what was going on in this really dangerous, often frightening situation where we were trying to make a difference, but also feeling that at many times, many, many times that we could fail that we probably would fail. And then for it to succeed at the end and become such a hit and, you know, be embraced by the Russian people across, you know, the whole former Soviet Union, it was surreal experience. A lot of those moments in the book that are surreal and wonderful. I think I keep using the word wonderful. So that's the word of the day here. Uh, today's episode <laughs> brought you to you for by the letter W, I guess, but it really is. And at, one point you're told speaking of surreal that russian children quote will not appreciate your monster style muppets because they're not realistic they are neither recognizable animals that exist in the real world nor humanoid uh and you, you can't argue with that right that's true but that's also kind of the point you you even tell that in such a way that you're not condescending to this person who, who says this to you it's just a different point of view and it makes sense if you're willing to step back for a minute and see that different perspective right the the world looks different to oscar the grouch in his trash can than it does to bert and ernie who are up in the apartment that's his world he loves trash the count loves counting you may not but we're all different and have different perspectives so how do you work those attitudes and ones like they tell you our puppets wear clothes they're not naked like yours which thank thank that gentlemen very much because I can never look at Kermit here behind me without realizing he's naked I have to cover him up I guess <laughs> but <laughs> but how do you how do you navigate all of that because there's things in what you call Big Bird's Bible the Muppet Manifesto that you're just not going to rewrite into Cyrillic letters there's some things you have to dig in your heels on so when it comes to designing these new Slavic Muppets what are the things that you say this is the spirit of, of sesame street they they have to have the googly eyes they have to be made of felt not of wood well, what were some of those things that you said this has to be the same and i have to get my perspective through to these people on the other side just as i'm listening to theirs you lay this out really well because when we first introduced the idea of the the muppets to the creative team they really didn't want the muppets and they just said you know we have our own puppetry traditions, very rich traditions that date back to the 16th century, and we don't need your Muppets. I understood where they were coming from, too, because, you know, like the head writer at the time said, 
we are going through such enormous transition, huge transition, and children need to see, uh, you know, puppets that are familiar to them. You don't want them to see some strange, googly-eyed, felt, round, you know, Muppets. They are not even called puppets, you know, and uh, it's just not the right time for that in our culture and society. So that's where we started from. And it took months. It Getting the Muppets, uh, getting the Russian and the, the Moscow team to uh, agree to have Muppets in Sesame Street, you know, almost was an international crisis. So... <laughs> <laughs> you don't expect that, but it was. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that that process was utterly fascinating. I had to meet the top Russian puppet designer. And at that meeting with our team, he pulled out two wooden style puppets, traditional Russian puppets with kind of cruel faces. And he's holding them up and performing. And then one is, is saying to the other one in Russian, I'm going to kill you. I'm, kill, I'm going to kill you. And, and everybody in the room is laughing. And I'm sitting here thinking, wow, this, you know, this, I'm not sure this puppet on puppet violence is going to play for <laughs> Sesame Street. You know, it's just so different. And the cultures are different. So sure. what you know after that we also had uh long discussions about Oscar um uh who lives in a trash can and the educator said you know that's you can't have that anything like that in our show because children will think it's safe to crawl into a trash can and it's not and it's probably true in the US too but anyway yeah, I thought I could um, I never thought twice about it it's probably Oscar's fault <laughs> yeah. Another one that was great was one of the writers said, uh, Nana Greenstein said, what is Oscar the Grouch? He's like, he's a conformist. You know, he's he's like a punk. Someone like him couldn't exist in Soviet Russia. He'd be put in prison. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. navigating, uh, navigating all of these, you know, cross-cultural Differences, and not just differences, but understanding of reality was was actually really fun. And also, you know, constantly listening, constantly listening and trying to understand where they're coming from uh, historically and taking into account their own literature and their folklore and their music tradition, because that's what Sesame Street International is all about, you know, to, to create a show that will be a success in a in this country that people will embrace as their own. It won't look like the American show. It'll have a very different look and feel, but a similar impact in terms of the messages that are being shared with the country that are that reflect an open society. And I think the laughter is so central. The way that you'll find yourself laughing throughout Muppets in Moscow is not that cruel laughter, the laughter that really no child wants to hear. And I think when we think of that kind of laughter being mocked and made fun of, and especially in a multi multicultural society like the US, we, we all have different ways. We have different foods as certainly Greek people do. And I could say for my own childhood, right? People don't get, why is your Easter different? That's stupid. Because like the Russians, we have, we have an Orthodox church. And so you celebrate at a different time. 
And so I love that about this book. I love that when we're laughing, we don't feel like cruel people. We just feel like I met somebody a little bit different that looks at the world differently. And that's how so much of Muppets in Moscow is, is you just letting people from another culture explain to you things in ways that you never saw them before, even though you've been watching the Muppets for 50 years and you, Natasha, have been working with the Muppets and yet they could tell you things you hadn't seen before. And that's what readers get out of this book. That's really beautifully said. And thank you for that. And, you know, that's that's really what I was hoping to achieve. And, you know, ever so important now with what's going on in Ukraine for, you know, Americans and the West to understand how this culture thinks. We have to find a way out of this for everybody. There has to be a way to peace. And um, I feel that uh, you know, this through the Muppets, it's a wonderful prism for understanding a culture, which also includes many, many Russians who are speaking out against the war and opposing the war. A lot of the members of my team I've been talking to on WhatsApp, many of them had to leave overnight because they had been active on social media speaking out about the war. Um, so this is, you know, this is really a tragedy to think about where we are today and where we were 30 years ago. Uh, but the, the story of making Sesame Street in, in Russia is timeless and you know, exceedingly valuable. And you know, I'm reading, as I say, I'm reading all the reviews on uh, you know, Goodreads and Amazon and cannot believe, you know, we've been out like six weeks and it has a five-star rating. And then the people talk about it as if it's like, you know, I couldn't put the book down. It's more like a thriller than a historical book, a must read for anybody who wants to understand what's going on in Russia today. And I feel that that's true in terms of understanding this society. Well, let's hope we get it into President Biden's hands, especially since you mentioned in the book that as a senator, he was one of the driving forces behind getting getting funding for this, I guess it was, and trying to get it over there. And so, yeah, whenever they have those pictures of presidents walking with books, that's always great. But in this case, I don't mind if he reads it in private because Muppets in Moscow, it, it teaches us about Russians. If you're, if you're wondering if you can't travel there and you certainly wouldn't want to right now as an American, this is the next best thing to learning to understand it. So I, I really appreciate that. And I hope that somebody at the White House puts the book in his hand. Me too. That'd be great. But uh, he was uh, absolutely instrumental. I don't think this would have happened without then Senator Biden, now president. He really, you know, pushed and was able to get bipartisan support for Russian Sesame Street. Yeah, a lot of people at the time, I had one friend and he was a real, uh, button down kid, very, very conservative guy. And uh, he said to me, boy, I was listening to Jim Henson talk about the Muppets. And he talked about it was based in all this uh, great society stuff from LBJ and yeah, all this, yeah. you know, and, uh, and it was aimed at kids in the inner city. And he's like, I'm living up in White Plains, New York. And I, I didn't know that. Well, he almost like he felt like he shouldn't have been watching it. But that's the thing about great entertainment. Like, not that he shouldn't have been, but that it wasn't for him. And of course, the Muppets Sesame Street are indeed for everybody. Muppets in Moscow, a book that's certainly for everybody. And I wanted to just close with a quote from it. You write that it is my hope that sharing the story now will show that despite many differences between our cultures, we have much in common. And that that's just such a 
beautiful way to close, a beautiful sentiment. I hope everybody's work can be as rewarding as yours here in Muppets in Moscow. So if you want to make your brief pick, if you want to make your brief pitch to folks at home, why should they pick up Muppets in Moscow? I haven't managed to convince them by all of my enthusiasm. And let it work the magic that Sesame Street has for so many generations of children. Let it work it for us as adults. Why should they pick up the book and help people see the world a little bit brighter when there seems to be so much darkness around? It's a great story, incredible story, remarkable that, um, you know, the team, our team of Americans and uh, Moscow artists were able to achieve this. And I think also that, you know, what I'm seeing is a lot of young people are fascinated by this idea of being so passionate about, uh, you know, changing society that, you know, we took incredible and me personally risks, you know, to bring Sesame Street to Russia. As I said, there's a story that involves, uh, you know, people who were being assassinated, uh, cars blown up as we were trying to create a children's puppet show. So it's, a, it's just a remarkable story about a place that is on our minds today and will help uh, people in the West understand the society better in ways that will impact our future. That is my hope. Well, Natasha Lance Rogoff, author of Muppets in Moscow, thank you so much for bringing this sunny day today and sweeping the clouds away for all of us. If you're an adult out there and you're asking, how do you get to Sesame Street? Because we lose we lose touch with that part of our childhood as we get older. and Maybe we forget how to get back that feeling of joy. Please do pick up Muppets in Moscow. Maybe even order some extra copies as a gift. Nobody's going to say, I don't want this book. Everybody loves the Muppets. And that goes for people in Russia too, which is important to remember at this time in the world's history. You'll be so happy that you went on this journey with Natasha, her talented team, Kermit, those wonderful Slavic Muppets that we've been seeing today and that you shared and created with the people of Russia. Thank you so much, Natasha. I wish you the best of luck with this very special book. Dean, you've been so generous and I love being on your show. Thank you so much for highlighting the book and talking with me. It's been a pleasure and I wish you happy holidays and everybody else. Again, the book is Muppets in Moscow, the unexpected crazy true story of making Sesame Street in Russia. As always, you can find the Amazon link to purchase your copy at the historyauthor.com page for this episode. By buying the book through us, we help keep the flux capacitor on our time machine humming like usual. My sincere thanks to Natasha Lance Rogoff for joining us and for bringing us back to those hopeful days after the fall of the Soviet Union when it opened its doors to Americans and to Muppets. This book invites the kid inside all of us to come out and play and to once again look at the world with wonder. And as we see what is unfolding in Ukraine, it's certainly a time that it's important to remember our common humanity. And that's what this book does so well, along with so many other things. Visit LanceRogoff.com for more. And from there, you can navigate through to her social media accounts, including Lance Rogoff on Twitter. Again, that last name is R-O-G-O-F-F. -F. 
If you enjoyed watching this conversation, please do subscribe at our YouTube channel for future journeys in the Wayback Machine. And visit me at historyauthor.com. Find all my social media accounts there, as well as my over 250 interviews now with authors that you're sure to enjoy. And please don't miss my New York Sun columns. Those are at nysun.com. I do appreciate everybody who's been making those some of the most read at the New York Sun. I'm often number one, and I can't help but thank the people out there who I've never met who listen and say, hey, Dean has some new history thing that he's doing to talk about. And he's talking about some current events, and let me go check that out. So I appreciate everybody finding me there at mysun.com. That's it for this installment of the History Author Show. I hope you'll join us for our next all-new interview right here on iHeartRadio or wherever you enjoyed this journey into yesterday. Until that next trip into the past together, on behalf of Natasha Lance Rogoff and Kermit the Frog here from Muppet News, thanks so much for time traveling with us today, and have a great week. We still call it Broadway, but what's in a name? Take it from Georgie, it isn't the same. On the east side, west side, things ain't like before. There are tears in the eyes of the regular guys. Oh, New York ain't New York.